Hello and welcome to this new episode of BJMO OncoTalks. In this podcast, Professor Ignis Vogotti, head of the gynecological department at the University Hospital Leuven, will summarise the highlights related to gynecological cancer presented during the 2020 annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Welcome Professor Vogotti and thank you very much for your time. Let us start off with the topic of ovarian cancer. The role of secondary cytoreductive surgery for women with recurrent ovarian cancer has been under debate for many years. At ASCO 2020, results of two phase three trials in this respect were presented. Could you talk us through the results of these trials? And based on these results, what is your take on secondary cytoreductive surgery in this setting? Yes, sure. Um... So the uh, desktop study uh, was presented by Professor Dubois, um, presented again as he presented a couple of years ago already the PFS. What is new is that we finally have a phase three study with mature overall survival data showing an overall survival of 54% in those who received secondary surgery uh, at the time of a platen-sensitive relapse. Um, versus for 46 months uh, in the control arm. Um, it is important to note that these patients were selected according to the desktop score, which takes the general performance ascites and the primary debulking into account. The, the, the first surgery or primary debulking or interval debulking uh, should, uh, should have been radical, so R0. So this is for the first time that we see a, a eight months difference in overall survival, uh, which is significant. Um, the trial presented by the Chinese Zhang, Professor Zhang, the SOC1 study, selected the patients a little bit differently according to an I-model score, which he also published on earlier, which takes the same criteria as the uh, desktop score into account, but also whether it was figure stage one or two or th- uh, three or four in the uh, at the time of diagnosis, what the CA1 to 5 was and whether the pattern free interval was long or not. So it's a more complicated score. And um, but the uh, PFS is quite similar to what we have seen with the desktop again, five months advantage of secondary debulking um, but the overall survival data are still immature so we can't say a lot about that but the question is of course whether we now recommend in all patients with first recurrence which is platen sensitive and a positive score be a desktop or the eye model score or a local score um, judging whether the patient is operable or not whether we will do secondary debulking in all these patients and uh, this is still controversial. I think in Europe, um, we are quite strongly convinced, um, I and also others from Europe were involved in the study and we know it's it's a very good study, the desktop study, uh, with good data and mature data. So I think in Europe, um, we see clearly that there is a trend to do more secondary debulkings. Also when I attend advisory boards, it's clear that uh, in Europe, this will be the way to go forward. But this is not the case in the USA. The question is, of course, why? And this is mainly because the GOG 213 study published by Rob Coleman 
uh, I think one or two years ago in New England, uh, which showed the opposite. So the patients uh, who underwent secondary working did not have the same advantage. On the contrary, the surgery patients did even a little bit worse. So the 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 question is, of course, why is the GOG213 study so different from the desktop and the SOC1 study? What the authors of the GOG claim is that it is because they received PFS, they received, sorry, they received Avastin. And we can understand that patients who received receive Avastin, um, that there is an impact on the uh, PFS, but not on the OS, because Avastin has not really shown an OS advantage, uh, not in the platinum-sensitive recurrence and even not in general in the first-line studies. So this is a real difficult one, and I don't have any good explanation why this is different um, with the GOG study, but um, uh, we'll see. I think in Europe we will... Uh, continue to uh, increase the number of secondary debuggings based on the desktop study and partly also based on the Chinese study. Okay, so in recent years, PARP inhibition has become an important pillar of the treatment for patients with ovarian cancer. As such, it is no surprise to see that the gynecological oral abstract session again featured several abstracts on PARP inhibition in this setting. The first of these studies that I'd like to discuss consists of the final overall survival analysis of the SOLO2 trial, a phase 3 randomized control trial assessing maintenance oliparib in patients with platinum-sensitive relapsed ovarian cancer harboring a BRCA mutation. Could you first remind us on the previously published results of this trial? Uh, the study was previously presented as uh, mainly PFS and also later uh... PFS2 data. Um, the study randomizes BRCA patients' um, chemotherapy um, versus uh, Olaprib. The uh, nice thing now is that we know that for BRCA patients, the overall survival is significantly better when you give Olaprib compared with the control arm. Um, it's 52 months versus 39 months, so a clear difference. So I think it's clear that um, the uh, maintenance therapy with Olaprib uh, has certainly a positive impact after uh, platinum-based chemotherapy. And does this overall survival data live up to expectations? So the OS data indeed were um, uh, significantly better, 52 versus 39 months in this uh, study. So the um, this is... For the first time with Olaprep, we have a phase three showing a OS difference in platinum-sensitive uh, ovarian cancer. Um, the um, main thing which is of concern is the number of patients who develop uh, MDS or uh, AML, um, which is very high. It's 8% in the uh, Olaprep arm. The strange thing is that it's, is that it's also 4% in the um, control arm. So we don't know, I can't really explain it why it's so high. Uh, some say 
is because it is a brachymutated population that they might be more sensitive to develop leukemia or MDS. Uh, but we have not seen that in SOLO1. SOLO1 is a first-line study where uh, patients with brachymutated tumors are randomized to maintenance olaprip or not. And also there we have more than five years follow-up and there is only 1% of MDS or AML. So, um, and also in all the other trials in platinum sensitive disease, we have seen with also other PARPs and Olaparib only in uh, MDS or AML uh, frequency of about 1 to 2%. So why this is so high in the control arm and in the um, um, Olaparib arm, of course, uh, even higher in the Olaparib arm, still remains a big question. But otherwise, this, this is a really positive study and it's certainly a good thing that we can treat now our patients with platinum-sensitive recurrence and BRCA mutations with um, Olaparib. In addition to this, ASCO 2020 featured two phase three trials evaluating a combination of a PARP inhibitor with a VEGF targeting agent. What is the clinical rationale for combining these two types of drug in patients with ovarian cancer? And could you talk us through the two studies that were presented? There have been quite a number of uh, data that um, combining VEGF inhibitors and uh, a PARP inhibitor might be synergistic. And then secondly, um, of course, we want to get rid of chemotherapy. Um, and in this way, a regimen in platinum sensitive disease is uh, without chemotherapy is attractive. And in addition, it gives us an additional option uh, to treat our patients. Um, the most important study is the GY04 study of uh, Liu. Um, the other one, the Avanova study, has been presented already and is only a phase two study of 97 patients. So this one I, I regard as less important. But the uh, uh, GY004 study of uh, energy is interesting because it's a phase three trial, 560 patients with three arms. Uh, one, as you said, with Sideranip, a VEGF inhibitor, and Olaprip. The second one with uh, chemotherapy and a third one with Olaprip only. Um, there was no selection for BRCA mutations. Um, and in this trial, it's clear that the PFS is the same with Stidiranip and Olaprip versus chemo, which is a little bit of a surprise because we always believe that uh, in platinum sensitive disease, we, it would be very hard to do equally good as platinum, as it's a platinum sensitive population. And the, uh, this study shows that the hazard ratio is even in favor, but not significantly, of the Sidera Nepolaprip uh, arm. Olaprip alone in uh, these patients is, uh, is worse, it's eight months. Um, but obviously, um, this uh, was not a surprise to me. This is also the reason why I think the Avanova trial, which I will discuss later, is less important. If we treat patients who do not have a BRCA mutation and are platinum sensitive with only a PARP, uh, then this is probably not adequate. Uh, 
Um, and as expected, the group with BRCA mutation, there the sidorelib olaprib tends to be better than chemotherapy. And also, surprisingly, in first recurrence, compared to a second platinum-sensitive recurrence. I would have thought first platinum-sensitive recurrence, probably platinum-better, but not in the second platinum-sensitive recurrence, but that's not the case in this study. So this is a very interesting and intriguing study. Of course, the proof of the pudding is overall survival, but this is uh, still immature. Um, and uh, the final question is, do we really have an advantage with sideranip and olaprip uh, compared with a platinum-based combination in um, in quality of life. And there I have my doubts because um, Olaprip is quite well tolerated, but Sideranip is um, known, and this is also seen in the study, with uh, significantly more diarrhea, hypertension, nausea, fatigue compared with chemotherapy. So I think uh, when I have to when I would have to choose between sidenanib and olaparib versus a platinum-based chemotherapy, like, for instance, the Calypso regimen with carboplatin and Kelix, I think most patients would prefer a four-weekly regimen like carboplatin and, and Kelix. But obviously, obviously, it opens a very nice opportunity to combine FEGF and olaparib. The question is whether sidenanib was the right choice, because that's one of the TKAs, which is quite toxic compared with chemotherapy even. And that's why the Avanova has some interest because there the combination of Neraprip and BEV is compared with Neraprip and we all know that BEV is of course much less toxic than most uh, tyrosine kinases inhibitors directed against VEGF. And as expected, Neraprip-BEV does better than Neraprip except in the BRCA mutated patients in the Avanova study, but that, that was expected. Are there any phase three plans with this niraparib bevacazumab combination? There are phase threes, but uh, they are not finalized yet. And the next phase three from the Scandinavian group will include uh, also immunotherapy. So, so right now, not yet, as far as I know. Now, you already mentioned immunotherapy, which brings us to new emerging therapeutic strategies for patients with ovarian cancer. During ASCO this year, we have already heard the final results of the Keynote 100 trial evaluating pembrolizumab in patients with advanced recurrent ovarian cancer. In contrast to what we have seen in many other cancer types, the success with immune checkpoint inhibition in patients with ovarian cancer has been limited. Did this image change with the presentation of this final Keynote 100 data? Well, the Keynote 100 I was also involved in, and the, these were mainly patients uh, that were heavily pre-treated, who were treated at least with one to three prior lines and uh, had a short treatment-free interval, three to 12 months, or more than four lines. Um, so these were heavily pre-treated, and in these patients, we see the expected uh, overall response rate of 8% in uh, almost 400 patients, 376. Um, so this um, is um, not encouraging for IOs in um, ovarian cancer, but this we knew already also from other drugs like nivolumab and other IOs 
that the response rates are low. But if their response, the duration of response is quite long. In this Keynote 100 study, it's uh, 10 months. What is uh, new for the PEMBRA studies, but this we reported already earlier, is that uh, the CPS score for PDL1 above 10%, which does not only take into account the uh, tumor cells themselves, but also the white blood cells, lymphocytes, and so on, um, seems to be a little bit better than just PDL1 scoring uh, with chemistry, uh, immunohistochemistry. Um, but still, it's not very good. It increases the response rate from 8 to 14% in the subgroup. And what is also interesting in this study is that um, the response rates in platinum-resistant and platinum-sensitive disease is the same. And this is uh, disappointing because we are doing a lot of uh, first-line studies and also studies in platinum-sensitive disease. And the fact that patients with earlier disease or still platinum-sensitive disease does not do not respond better on pembrolizumab uh, doesn't give me a very good uh, sign. But we'll see, of course, whether uh, these first-line studies or platinum-sensitive studies will be different. But on a preliminary analysis of subgroups in Keynote 100, I'm not very, I'm getting less optimistic. Given these low response rates, the logical next step is to combine an immune checkpoint inhibitor with another treatment modality. Are there any clinical trials ongoing in this respect? Yeah, that's the, the most studies which we are doing in phase one and phase twos now are, uh, at least in the recurrent setting, are combinations combinations with PARP, for instance, Nirapreb, um, in the ANITA study, and atezolizumab, or combinations with different IOs, um, um, the, uh, EP and NIVO, for instance, or other um, combinations um, with chemotherapy, like in the first-line studies, we are investigating the combination of uh, uh, the different IOs in combination with chemotherapy and then later in combination with PARP. So we have to see, but single agent IO in epithelial ovarian cancer, I think uh, we can't see a major difference there in, in the phase threes. Another, perhaps more interesting new treatment modality consists of the antibody drug conjugate mervatuximab suravtanzine. What can you tell us about this agent? And how did it perform in the phase one trial that was presented at ASCO 2020? Yes, uh, I'm also involved in quite a lot, a number of trials with Mivitaximab Soraftansin, um, both in combination with carboplatin, with, with the combination of both with, uh, Pembro uh, and in the forward uh, study, uh, which was a phase three, where uh, Mivitaximab Soraftansin was compared uh, with um, standard chemotherapy in platinum-resistant ovarian cancer. Unfortunately, the results were just borderline not significant. That's why we will continue with the NGODOV55, the Mirasol trial, where the patient will be better selected with the um, uh, PS2 tests for um, testing positive or high alpha-folate receptor uh, positivity. 
why alpha folate receptor positive? This is because this is an antibody drug conjugate combining mirvituximab, which is an antibody against alpha folate receptor, which is, which is a very interesting uh, target in ovarian cancer. Um, combining it with soraftansin, which is the, the chemotherapy linked to it. Um, in on ASCO this year, uh, there was a uh, phase one with expansion presented by Gilbert on 60 patients. About half are platen sensitive. This is important to know because when we look on the responses, we should take this into account. Now, they included both intermediate and high um, PS2 scoring in this study. So not only the high ones in contradiction to the uh, OV55 Mirasol study. And the um, what is interesting there is that the combination of uh, Mirvituximab, Soraftansin with BEV resulted in platinum resistant patients with high alpha folate receptor, a 59% um, response rate. But as in all phase one, especially phase ones with expansions, uh, they are often small. We are talking only about 17 patients, so this has to be confirmed, but certainly interesting. Leaving the field of ovarian cancer, I'd now like to turn the attention to cervical cancer. In this setting, a first abstract that caught my eye relates to a randomized phase 3 trial evaluating the addition of chemotherapy to adjuvant radiation in patients with early stage cervical cancer. Before digging into these results, could you first outline what the current standard of care looks like for these patients in the adjuvant setting? Patients with uh, high risk factors such as positive lymph nodes or uh, positive margins on the radical hysterectomy will treat these patients with radiotherapy or radiochemotherapy. Mostly, certainly in Belgium, will treat with radiochemotherapy. That's certainly also what we do in Leuven. The interesting uh, thing of this study presented by Huang, the STAR study, is uh, this is a Chinese study, it's a huge study, more than 1,000 patients, 1,080 patients with a decent follow-up of almost five years. They compared in patients with high-risk factors such as lymph nodes, margins, or deep infiltration or uh, lymphatic space involvement. They randomized these patients to two cycles of pacotaxel and platinum, three weekly, followed by radiotherapy, and then followed again by two cycles of uh, pacotaxel and platinum versus radiotherapy or versus radiochemotherapy uh, with cisplatinum, which is, uh, I think, the standard right now. Now, uh, I think this is a really... Um, a study that is will be practice changing at least in my mind because the addition of the chemotherapy prior to the radiotherapy and afterwards what they call the sequential therapy uh, resulted in an improved disease-free survival and overall survival um, compared uh, with uh, the two other arms for disease-free survival and for overall survival compared with rates therapy without weekly cisplatin. Um, so I think in this, the, the difference is especially seen in distant metastasis, which is logical for adding chemotherapy. And in addition, it's mainly seen in patients with positive lymph nodes or positive margins, while the, the other group 
or subgroup with only LVSI or deep uh, cervical infiltration, the difference was uh, not clear and certainly not significant in this subgroup. So to me, it confirms what we earlier thought and also what other studies showed in the past that probably it's good to add chemotherapy, which is probably best based in Europe. We mostly use now in cervical cancer carboplatin in combination with pachytaxel instead of cisplatin um, and uh, pachytaxel. Um, but I think there is a, a good study now to convince us that in the adjuvant setting of uh, cervical cancer patients treated operatively, it was stage 1b1 to uh, 2a2, so even up to large, uh, more than 4 centimeters cervical tumors infiltrating the vagina, but not the 2b's infiltrating the parametra. So in these patients who are operated primarily, I think we have now a good reason to add chemotherapy to, to the radiochemotherapy. A second cervical cancer abstract that I would like to address comes from China, but focuses on patients with advanced cervical cancer. In this phase 2 trial, the anti-PD-1 antibody camrolizumab was combined with the VEGF targeting agent apatinib. Did this combination therapy show any clinical activity? Yeah, it's a phase 2. It's only 45 patients with cervical cancer who were treated uh, with one prior line of chemotherapy. Um, and they noticed an exceptionally high um, uh, response rate of 56% with camrelizumab, it's a PD-1 blocker, plus a patanib uh, VEGF blocker. But it's a small study, and we should take into account that uh, the standard now in first recurrence is uh, pachytaxel and carbo or, or, or cisplatin and pachytaxel. Um, in combination with, with a Vestin. That's also reimbursed in Belgium. And in this study, only 22% of the patient had prior VEGF, uh, prior bevacizumab. So um, this is certainly very interesting. In second line or higher, to have a 56% response rate. Um, but uh, there are other options uh, like combined immunotherapy or, or ADCs like this otomap fedotin which have uh, on their own uh, similar response rates of 20 to 30%. Uh, when you add there an IO, I expect uh, the response rates to be similar and probably less toxic than apatinib, which is also quite a toxic drug. Okay, that wraps it up. Thank you very much for your time and thank you for sharing your expertise on the treatment of gynecological cancers with us. We are sure that our listeners have found your talk most informative.